Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri Tech Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out what makes games really fun to do and making sure that you get that special thing all ready for you to do. This week we're talking about, it's a more general topic, uh, we're, we're leaving uh, Fringeworthy aside, perhaps, we'll see, uh, but we're talking primarily about what do you put on your character sheet that makes it all special? You know, what's important to have on a character sheet? What's important for your character and your play? And, uh, of course, and preferably, not the obvious. <laughs> So, Trav. Yes. What's the number one thing that you put on your character sheet that you think is important? Wow, that actually depends on the character, I would say. I mean... Well, give me some examples. Uh, well, let's see. If let's, We'll go the standard tropes. If you have a dwarven fighter, you know, your stock dwarf with an axe. Yay! Stat, yeah, yeah, stats for the axe, um, combat statistics, uh, the abilities that you that make that dwarf an expert at what he does. Now, for D twenty, that would be skills, feats, uh, traits that Pathfinder has now, the weapon stats, the proficiency in it. For a rogue, a halfling rogue, you would have him his abilities about. His stealth and his lock picking, and on the equipment sheet, his thieves' tools and maybe his cloak and boots of elven kind, and it all depends on the character. What is important to put on the character sheet? But this is D twenty, man. I mean, aren't you going to have an eighteen plus in your stat? Aren't you going to have whatever your level is plus four? You, you know, because that's the highest you can raise it in your. Your, your stealth and your lockpicking? Well, yeah, I mean, th that's what I mean. The stats, it depends on the character. If you have a dwarven fighter, you're going to want that 18, 18 strength, 18 con. If you're going to have that halfling rogue, you're going to want that 18 dex. Just, it, it all depends on what type of character you want. Tells what important things you want on that character sheet. Yeah, but isn't that, like Bruce said earlier, the, kind of the obvious Yeah, I mean, a lot of character sheets don't have space for, like, oh, oh uh, origin story. Like, if you want to write a small background on your character, if there's space for it, then fine. A general, okay, uh, what's the term? 
Reader's Digest description of the how the character came to be. Like he was. Yeah, let's assume that you could put anything you want to on that character sheet. Are you saying that you'd want to put uh, their backstory right up there on the front uh, of, of the character sheet? Well, not not on the front. I mean, on the front, as I, as I said, it would be name, abilities, class and level, vital statistics like, you know, height, weight, hair, eyes, skin, um, your immediate combat statistics, your skills, maybe languages, because that's often important that you're going to need that when you come up and you're in a battle and you're fighting giants and that giant threatens you, well, if you don't have giant, him, you know, telling you that where he's going to put that axe in you, it's not going to be that important. That too, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you know giant, then, you know, you can sit there and role play the dwarven fighter understanding what the guy says and then tell him, no, it depends where I put it in you, you know. Easy now. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, the number one thing I want on my character sheet is a, is a big old picture of my character. Because I'm not my character. I'm not him. He's not me. And so I need to bring my best game to the table to play him. And I want him looking me straight in the eye you know, challenging me to say, okay, you got to play me right. I'm counting on you to do it right. And so I want him dressed in the way that everybody else sees him. You know, the clothing, I want to see the weapon on him. I want, if he has one, of course, uh, I want to see whatever it is that makes this guy or girl special and drives my interactions with others. I want that in that picture. That hopefully I have a you know nice big one uh, over on the uh, right hand side usually on my character sheets. Actually, the one thing I like to have on my character sheets that's really important, especially when I'm playing face to face games, is a list of everyone of of who's who. You know, Bruce is playing this character and his character's name is this and he does this. Travis playing the dwarf character and his name is this and he does that and so and so forth. So I actually have a list of you like a team roster. Yeah, like a team roster. So I know so I was I can address him in character and say going, uh Trav, I talked to your dwarf. No. Thugar, the mighty. I need I need of your mighty thus. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. I think you're right. I think that's great. And um and of course, uh you're not seeing his character. You know, he's got that in front of him uh, if he has a picture of him. So you might need to throw in a couple of descriptive characteristics of the other people around the table. Their characters, that is. Especially if you've got a 400-pound guy playing a little four-and-a-half-foot-tall uh, lithesome elf. Yeah. As, as Richard shows so so well in his gamer's uh, supplement. Oh, Yeah. Peter, do you have anything that you have to put on your character sheet or it just isn't doing its job? Well, besides what you all have listed, because, I mean, you guys went down kind of a laundry list of things instead of just picking one. (laughs) I'm going to say one of the things that you haven't mentioned is my money. Okay. I need to have my money right up front so I always know how much I can spend. (laughs) That just sounded wrong. (laughs) That's so I can keep my mind on my money and my money on my mind. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but I, in, in all honesty, I would say I, I have to agree with Bruce. I think the picture is really important because um, the picture is really representative of – I mean, well, it, it doesn't have to be, but it generally is because, you know, when you pick out that picture for your character, it's generally quite – image representative of what that character is. So I think that's a pretty important thing to have right on the front. I just changed my icon to one of my character pictures in the game I'm playing. Well, well, Peter, I, I like your idea of putting money up in the front because, you know, so many people in this world are, are defined by their wealth. And knowing that you're rich actually can really mo- uh, modify your behavior. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, especially if they're playing something like D&D, that they're walking around with a variable fortune on them. Well, yeah, it, usually if they don't remember how much that stuff weighs. My character's got 5,000 gold on them, really. Well, I, I don't mean that. I mean the fact that they've got a 5,000 gold piece sword. Oh, yeah, there you and, go. Yeah, sure. And they've got a 10,000 gold piece helm. That these, that these people are basically worth more dead than alive. Okay? And... Uh, but I'm just saying, if you go into town and you and you know that you're that you're walking around looking like a rich person, then that really would inform the way you react to other people. I mean, what, you know, can you really go up to a poor person on the street and hand him a copper? He's looking at you with your gleaming helm of brilliance and go, "Yeah, really, seriously? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were a paladin, man." So, but but other things too. I mean, uh, it's. Uh, your social status is is in many ways uh, communicated by the clothing that you wear and the way you spend your money. I mean, rich people spend money because they got it. You know, player characters are very strange because they're usually always trying to get that little extra more money so they can go and buy that thing that they've been trying to get. And they walk around like misers half the time when in fact is they could they could probably float a party that would never stop in any town that they went to. So uh, I I like the idea of putting that money up there in front, saying this is the kind of money I have, and I should use that money because that's what it's there for. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing uh, a lot of Fate Core lately, and in this case, you don't actually worry about money. You have it, but you have a skill called resources, and resources is pretty much how well off you are. So, you know, if I got, uh, you know, if I got, uh, and I can go up as high as uh, plus eight resources, but most people are like, I'm my character right now, I'm playing the game, he's only got plus two resources. But the thing is, I'm the only person with with the resource skill, which means my robot, which is what I'm playing, is the richest person on the team, because he's got two resources, he's got plus two resource. So, yeah, I ended up, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that, so I I can sort of go. Oh yeah, I can. I got money I can spend. Talking about wealth, okay. Now Bruce knows this. The D twenty modern system uses a wealth score. You do not sit there and keep track of each dollar, and so you can raise that either by adventuring. The GM can give you a wealth reward, like okay. The money that you found from the drug dealers, you split it up. Everybody gets plus two wealth. The Second World Sourcebook by Stephen Palmer Peterson, which is a fantastic D20 resource, for, especially for advanced game masters, they also have a stat called Influence Points. Now, Influence Points, you can. there's a chart in the book that you can convert your wealth score, well, gold to wealth score, and then your wealth score to Influence Points, 
And basically the way they do it, one influence point is worth 1,000 gold pieces. Now, you can have incredible amounts of wealth, but no influence. Or you can have a small amount of liquid assets and just have influence where you can pull in favors. And influence points is a way to, that's how you spend getting your magic items and advanced training and in some cases, military hardware, if you're adventuring. So influence points, that's another stat I would want on the character sheet. Underneath my wealth score, that way then I know not only how much money I have, but also what kind of pull do I have in the world? Am I a captain of industry, or am I just somebody throwing around lots of coin and bills? Because the people that throw around coin and bills... You can tell that what's the, there's a French term, nouveau riche. And now, if you have influence as well as wealth, then you're considered old money. You've learned to parlay your wealth and your status into something that gets things done. So, influence points would be another stat I would want readily accessible on the character sheet because I want to know yeah, I want to be able to meet that CEO for lunch tomorrow. And have him push all his appointments aside to deal with me because I need to get this, this, that, or the other from him. Right. I, I would want my connections to other people who are important. I would want those on the front of the character sheet too. Yeah. The the let's say using the influence point example, the people, the connections and contacts you've amassed using that influence, saying, okay, I have this CEO, this cop on the beat and this street criminal i can contact them for varying types of contacts and varying types of information that i might need in my travels throughout the city so right and if you have the that information on the character sheet in front of you then you can name drop and name dropping is kind of a, a gauche kind of thing to do but in a role-playing game a name dropping really tells the other the npcs that you are connected, and that you do know these people, and you're connected to them. Uh, I I know we, we talked in other podcasts about, especially I are very big on this, that it's important that everybody sees you connected to them because they're more willing to go out and live for you if they are. They're more willing to get to watch your back, and this is important in games like Bureau Thirteen. And it's definitely important in games like Fringeworthy. Ah, see, we've got Fringeworthy in there. Uh, anyways, uh, but the point is, if you don't use these names, if you don't have these names someplace where you can readily access them, then you're, uh, you basically are, are flipping back to the back page trying to find these names or another page, and they end up being lost or just overlooked. And see, see, in this modern age where everything is in computer files, I, you know, I always print out a brand new character sheet every single time I play, so I can go and update it with the stuff I'm going to need for that session, and keep other stuff on like a, a second or third page, and move it around, and it becomes more timely and more, um, you know, I can leverage what who I am who I know and what I can do better when all that stuff's up on the front page. 
Though, I mean, if you got two pages, it's sometimes you can have them side by side. But yeah, I've seen character sheets. Uh, I've been playing uh, Burning Wheel. The character sheet is uh, uh, six pages. Oh, yeah. Well, they have for Eberron, the Eberron setting for 3.5, you could get a four-page character sheet. In some games, you can have, they do, uh, for Pathfinder, they just have flat out a player character folio. Any and all facts that you want about this character are, I mean, even an outline that tells what magic items are on what part of the body. That's how detailed this thing is. But it's like, I think, like 10 pages. So uh, sometimes I think we should probably also think outside of the character sheets. So one thing from my, our, from our, um, we're playing bulldogs. It's a, we are using fake core, not the original uh, system for it, but we came up with a relationship diagram where we basically worked out, okay, what do you think of this other person? What does this person think of that person? So on and so forth. So we had this relationship tree, that we can we can we can then look at and determine. Oh, yeah, that's right. I I respect this person, but I sort of look down on this other person, and they sort of look down on me as well. As far as who knows what and who knows who, that's good to have on your character. You need to have that stuff handy so when the situation comes up, boom, it's right there. You just say, okay, hey, I know this guy. Let me make my uh. Let me let's see. I have the IP where I can call in that favor. Let me make my diplomacy check. Hey, yeah, in about five hours, you know, he'll clear up uh, an appointment schedule. You know, he'll clear up the appointment on a schedule. We can go in and talk to the guy because I have the information right there. I'm not having to remember. You have to, you know, go look, flip through books or whatever. It's something right there. Oh, look, and it's a high level contact, which means we just walk right in as soon as they see us. It's something handy to have. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've played games. Uh, one game I played is Tech Noir. It's a cyberpunk game, but it's run off a relationship tree. The entire game is run off a relationship tree. Therefore, the GM, can, at least the GM knows who's who knows what and what, and, and basically all the connections. And it's, it's great. It makes, it, it may, and it means as you run the game, you can sort of improvise it and it builds itself to pay, based on how the characters build their relationships to themselves and other NP, and NPCs. Um, when I play uh, a lot of fake games, we go through the. Uh, it was cre- it was started by uh, Spirit of the Century. It's basically the story. Uh, Spirit of the Century. Uh, you you're writing like five chapters about your about your character history. You got your beginnings. You got your early years, and then you have your first adventure, and then you have your second adventure. But your second adventure is with a person on your right. And then you have your final fifth adventure, and that's with the person on your left. So you have a connection to them in, in that way. So everybody has a connection to everyone else in the party. You all know each other. It's It helps the buy-in of you all acting together because, well, yeah, this guy to my right knows this other, you know, it's the whole thing. I know this guy. Yeah. So in the end, you all, you're trusting each other to trust each other. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Now, some games you don't get that, like this bulldog team we're playing. We basically are a bunch of misfits thrown together. Sounds like Guardians of the Universe. Anyway, a bunch of misfits thrown together with no, absolutely no connection to each other, other than we have to work for the uh, uh, Trans Galaxy uh, shipping company. 
uh, for the next five years. Sounds like Hardware Hinterland. Yeah, that that's sort of that way too. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Yeah, though, though you don't with Hardwire Hinterland, you're not forced to actually start the game at the beginning. You can start, you know, you've been there for a year or two years, and now you can build characters together, who you know know each other from their from their past histories. You know, and there's nothing start, and there's nothing stopping you from starting a game of Hardware Hinterland with a with a tour bus for the people, and it makes a left hand turn. Hmm. <laughs> yep. Man, why is it always got to be left-hand turn? Why is it always got to be the bad turn? Like us left-handed... Like those left-handed people. I like the bad, like sinister and stuff. It's not right. Exactly. It's not right, Peter. Not right. It's left. And it's also when you, you're not looking. So you make a left-hand turn without looking. You know? I, I made mention during one game I ran that there's a lot of people out there who every so often will make a left-hand turn immediately without looking. Just to see if they go back home. Never works. But, you know, hey, that's what got them there. So, so what are you saying, uh, Blix? You're saying that soft paws are not going to be taking it from the man anymore? Yeah. That's right. We're not taking right. it from the man. <laughs> We've had it up to here. We're not going to take it anymore. That's right. Way to embrace that Al- for Albert Finney from Network. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Take it anymore. Right. Go to your windows. Go. Open them Open up. Open them yeah. up. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See now, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, now something else I think should always be on the, uh, uh, basically the, the the front or near the front or somewhere on the the main sheet is something about the uh, the the climate in which you're in. Uh, just 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 see so you reminded of the fact that you're in the desert, with or you're in Arctic. Or you're in, you know, a, a, a nice uh, evergreen forest. Just because I know that I, I've seen people do this where they play their character regardless of what their environment is because they don't really take it to heart. The GM doesn't do anything with it. You know, they just happen to be there. And I think that cuts into role playing. I think that, you know, when you get up in the morning knowing that you're going to have to allot another 30 pounds of clothing, uh, because it's freezing outside, it's negative ten degrees. Then you know, versus, well, I just put on my armor and it'll be fine. No, no, putting on your armor uh, is is means it can it helps conduct the heat away from you, and you're going to freeze. So, and you can't carry as much stuff as you normally can because you've got all this extra clothes. So, things, anything, uh, things like that that will enhance the role playing. And maybe make you a little bit more aware of what's going on. And that, I think another thing you need to—it may, it may not be on your front character sheet, but it should be something you you put on your character sheet, or at least put on add to your character. And that's and that's their background. I mean, we were talking about the the five step method of creating characters in in uh, a lot of fake games, but you know that also includes you know your family history. You know, people you know. You know, a lot of people hate putting dependents on their character sheet unless they get points for them. But sometimes, have, you know, putting down that you have brothers and sisters, that's something you know, that, that gives the GM hooks. And don't don't look at GM hooks as being something bad for the character. They're chances for you to, to, to role play and shine and actually have a, a, a potential adventure. Your your older brother comes comes to you and tells you. You know, Carl, we need. I, I got a problem. You need to fix it for me. I owe money to to the mob. 
Well, it's not just that. If, for example, you have a son and you run into a little boy or a little girl out in the middle of the forest, then it makes sense that you would take that child under your wing because you're, you basically would hope that somebody else would do the same for your child. If you're one of these perennial, uh, eternal, uh, single people, uh, you're playing in the game with no connections to anybody. Murder hobo. There's no, yeah, right. Uh, then there's no reason for anybody to look at you any other way than as a murder hobo. I mean, going and talking about your family, going and talking about, you know, looking at you and says, man, he says, you're a much better brother than my real brother is. And then and they're like, really? You have, how many brothers do you have? And then the conversation goes. And all of a sudden you have a richer, you know, discussions amongst the players. Uh, but uh, that sort of thing I, I find, I, w- I would prefer the character history to be way far to the back because it's one of those things that once you get it down, you really don't reference it very often unless you're in a family situation. I mean, one thing I did, I did with my uh, team Fremont was to make sure they all had connections to each other in their backstories. You know, everyone, know, you know, they knew each other from different reasons. And, the, you know, Team Fremont, they have a consistent backstory to themselves that, that gives them background. You know that they have brothers and sisters, that Seth Green, the team leader, lost his little sister in a, in a drowning accident. Things they can play off of if they, oh. you know, they, they tend to read the character histories. Peter? Oh, I was going to say, I have, uh, one of the things that we do... Um, some people do a three by three. We do, sometimes we do a five by five, uh, three by three is more common though, but it's, it's basically, um, three people you want to meet, three places you want to go. And, uh, maybe like three items. It d- depends on your game or what, what the setting is, but it's basically three things that you list from three different categories. Uh, maybe even three enemies or three bad things. Um, and they they go well on the on the front character sheet. But it always reminds you that they're they're always in the forefront. You know, there are always things that could that could be triggered in an adventure. And that's when uh, what brought that up was you talking about putting family members and stuff on there. You know, the three people that you that you want to meet, or three friends that you have, or three people you miss, or three people you miss. I mean, and that's that's where like the five by five comes in really well too, because five categories is better. And that's usually kind of like a second sheet type of thing, but. Um, but but it should kind of always sort of be around so that the uh, the game master and the player can can always have those things sort of constantly being there to remind them that they are, are gaming hooks. So, uh, Trav, do you think that you should put your bucket list for your character on your character sheet? Oh. Oh, that is a good question. That would depend... Well, I mean, if you're putting what Blix just said on there about people you'd like to meet, that kind of would be a bucket list, I would imagine, because there are things that you want done while the campaign is going. Since you're not going to be playing this campaign for the rest of your life, I would assume that that list that Blix just mentioned would be, in effect, your bucket list. Things you want to do within the major campaign arc. These three people I miss and I want to see again, or these three places I want to travel, or these three people I want to fight because, you know, it'll help my reputation. Technically, that would be a bucket list. Uh, I I agree. uh, And and that's why I brought up because it made me think of that when he was talking about it. I mean, things like I want to get married. You know, I mean, most people who who are in role-playing games don't ever do that. 
Or I want to retire someplace where I can, you know, raise cabbages and chase the rabbits away or something like that. You know, looking forward to when my character is not adventuring. You know, that doesn't mean the game, you know, the game stops at that point. I could just be, you know, that, I could turn around and become a GM and now my character becomes the NPC you go to for information. Right. So how would that, how would that drive your play if you had that written down? Well, it means I'm not I'm not going to go out and kill myself. I'm not going to fight to the death. I I might be more li- liable to say I surrender. I I, I mean I, I mean I've i run into during my early D and D days I've run into too many terrorists who are willing to die during combat and not give up un, unwilling to give up at all because they basically they were murder hobos. They had nothing outside of being a murder hobo. Well, uh, not only that, but also because the adventure was supposed to be gauged so that you could win if you just simply stuck it out. You know, there's there's a lot of people who believe that a, that if a GM had a T, uh, had a, a TPK, then he was a bad adventure. He was a bad GM. So why not? You know, stick it out. Why not go? You know, for the glory because more often than not, you're going to be able to pull it off because it's been balanced for your character level. But yeah, like I said, though, I, a character who's looking to retire or a character who wants to get married, you're looking, if you say you're looking to get married, well, you're looking for that special girl. I mean, I play, I play enough games. I, unfortunately, Richard, I wish Richard was here. Uh, but uh, uh, during our, during our um, uh, play tests of FTL 2448, two of the characters got married to each other. You know, it's like they didn't get married in real life, but then in, in, in game, in game, they got married. Uh, the captain, of the ship, and his first officer—they got married, and there, there you go. <laughs> That's something you would—I I didn't see in other games. I haven't actually haven't seen other games since. So that's the sort of thing I would I would like to see get better play. Yeah, yeah. We we had one uh, uh, two players who got their characters got married in my Bureau Thirteen game, and it really it really added to the play when one of the characters who was a werewolf. Uh, was horrendously killed, but of course, being a werewolf, that doesn't keep you down. So here, here he is coming back. Uh, he's really there's not much of him left there currently, and he comes back alive, and he's like, ah, oh, I'm in agony, oh, like that. And she's there, and says, honey, don't hold on, it's okay, I'm here with you, I'll be with you the next time. Just go, let it go, let it go. <laughs> and it was a, it was actually a very touching scene because you know he was in agony instead of him trying. To, to stay alive when his body clearly couldn't support him, uh, other than the fact that he'd just been brought back through supernatural means. So he let it go and died again, and then the next time the, the full moon came around, there was a lot more of him left there now. Okay, so it actually took like four times before there was enough of him to survive and regenerate. He had been he had basically been burned to a crisp. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sticks with all those pretty much left. All right. So, um, what do you think about lots and lots of art on your character sheet? What do you guys think about that? Uh, I would say if you're going to have art, if you, there are some people who just, I mean, Bruce, if you need to have the character portrait on, okay. There are some people that, you know, art is not a thing they you know they know what they look like and they 
I didn't mean that. I mean the people who put all the little swirly cues and they put stuff, you know, and, and different colors and you know they just they just draw like clouds blowing over to their their sating throws and and then uh, you know something else is inside of a something that looks like an iron box and it's all their uh, their their weapons and equipment. Well, I mean they just draw all this stuff on their character sheet. What do you think? Is that well? Is if that... you're doing that during the game, that means you're pretty distracted from role playing. Well, I, I didn't mean necessarily that. I mean just something that you'd want on your character sheet. Do you think does that add anything to your play? Not, not well. My stick figure sucks, so that would be a no for me. Um, oh no! Because there's some really dynamite character sheets out there for AD and D that uh, you can just download and use. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm and um. That that's if you want to, you know, take the time away from the game and you know make the doodles and put the little flourishes. Knock yourself out. That if that's what makes your character sheet pop for you, you know, adds the experience. It's all good. That's not a problem. Um, what do you, what do you think? For me personally, just on yeah. my character sheet, no, I can't draw, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. That's why I. That's why I write. <laughs> but if you could, would you? Well, I would think so if I wanted to add a representation or just, you know, a little bit of flair on it. Yeah. Okay. How about the rest of you guys? Well, I, I used to, yeah, I, I would doodle like, characters all the time. I mean, I, I'm not a great artist, but I can at least draw a passable face and maybe a, a bust. Not not full fi- not a full figure, but... But I, you know, I I do that sometimes, or I, or or more, more likely, uh, I'll go out and find an image I like and use it. Yeah, but we're not talking about your character portrait. We're talking about decoration on your character sheet. Decoration? Uh, no, I really don't decorate my sheet. I, you know, I decorate it with with notes and figures and doing math on the side. Especially in D and D, I do math on the side. Uh, doing math on the side, you know, and things like that. It's I usually don't doodle it. Now, when I make sheets, I'll I'll I actually I've made several character sheets uh, for different games, and when I do that, I I, I will sit down and try a theme, you know, for the sheet. Like uh, I have, I make a. Uh, a trifold, a tent card for fate, and I went with what I called the bubble theme. Everything's a bubble, the, sh- all the you know elongated bubble. You know, I don't get what you're saying, John. Uh, but basically, <laughs> I, I go I go with a theme. The, the base the sheets laid out like everything is is these little uh, uh, stretched out circles. Okay, so it's a pile. It's a pile of stretched out oblong circles. Yeah, but it's not. But they're, I arrange them in different shapes and so forth. Or like when I did with the uh, uh, Bureau 13 uh, a character sheet enemy for Savage Worlds, I did it as a dossier, you know, like an official dossier for of your character, you know, with, play, you know, with all the pertinent information and so forth. Oh, that's interesting. So, so what do you guys think of, of, of creating your character sheet to look like an object in the game that you're doing? Oh, so in other words, like if you're playing a uh, incur no, not incur. What am I thinking of? Um, oh, man, I can't think of it. The space game, the um, FTL. FTL. Oh, yeah, the FTL, right? So if you made it look like a starship panel or something like that, like uh, like like an operation a readout panel. panel, yeah, where your readouts were your stats and stuff like that. Yeah, or like a, a medical you know sheet. Well, I'll tell you, I I like it. I mean, when we there was a game. 
uh, a long time ago that we played that was sort of, sort of came out around the same time as Vampire, maybe a little bit afterwards, and kind of had the same sort of theme, but it was called Immortal. And uh, the character sheets that came, <coughs> came with that were like, uh, they were like this piece of artwork that had spots to write things into. So the all the, the information that you needed to like spell out, you know, like say for your strength or whatever, um, what was on there, and then there would be this this blank spot to write the the value in there. But everywhere else, the whole thing was like a big piece of art. I thought it was really cool. Or I would say like, uh, let's say you're playing a pulp game of some type. Let's say. Uh, the one that comes to mind for me is Adventure from White Wolf, either the Storyteller or the D20. If you wanted to make your character sheet look like either, you know, a 1920s dossier or even a newspaper page, if you've got the artistic talent and the time, go ahead. If it adds to the flavor that you're playing in 1924 New York City, great. If you can pull it off, again, that... A lot of time, art on the character sheet has to do with the the talent of the player. And just me, as I said, my stick figure sucks. So me, it's a stock character sheet. I might... No art. <laughs> uh, uh, well, for cha- like character portrait, I remember champions like first and second edition back in like the late 80s, early 90s, where you'd get an outline of a male or a female figure in different poses and you could, you know, color in that outline and white outlines and you could make a reasonable facsimile of your of your hero's costume. If you're willing to do that, if you put in the time and effort for that, I did. That was relatively simple. Then great. As I said, I think art is all, art on the character sheet, I think is all up to the player and his level of skill and the willingness to commit doing it. It just, for me, it's, it's, as I said, I can't do art, so it's not a big thing for me. If I was, if I had any artistic capability, yeah, sure. I might do something to spice up the character sheet a little bit, make it my own to, um, individualize it, so to speak. Instead of like drawing on the character sheet, you know, like, like Bruce was saying, you know, do artwork on his stuff. I mean, I guess you could do it if you, if it was part of the permanent character sheet on the computer, but like you, Bruce, I print out new character sheet every time I play pretty much. So I don't want to put, I wouldn't want to hand draw art on it because I would lose it every time I printed out a new character sheet. Well, let, let's see as far as other types of things that we can put on a character sheet. Uh, let's see. We've talked about pertinent information. We've talked about contacts made through play Art, both character concept and just extraneous art to liven up the character sheet. Okay, because I hate art on my character sheet. Okay. Okay. Other question because I don't like it. Other than the character portrait, I do not like that. Okay. I uh, though it's, it's, it's initially it's oh how cool it is to go and have my thing look like. You know, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, something off of a Star Trek panel or something like that. To me, that's valuable real estate that's being used up by color and, and whatever. You know, that uh, it's something that I could put something more important there. And uh, the other thing I actually ever do is I might use a specialty paper that, you know, kind of brings across, you know, like a, a vellum for if it was like a, a fantasy um, kind of game or something that you know, just, you know, a, a grid, 
you know, uh, for, uh, for, uh, sorry, your FTL. Uh, I'm not sure what I would pick for, uh, uh, really I have on occasion printed them out on, on cloud paper, where it was like a picture of clouds in the background. And after using it for a little while, I was like, man, I really wish I hadn't done this. It is so hard <coughs> to read what I want to read off of this character sheet. Okay. Oh, well, actually, what I did in my oh dear, uh, for the Fringeworthy, I actually had an experiment with this one. I did a lay, I did a layout for Sarah's Worlds. Then I put as a background, uh, I I made the United Nations uh, shield for uh, the the United Nations Interdimensional Survey Service, or okay. actually through United Nations Dimensional Authority or Agency, and. But I put it in the background and then I grade it out as a background image, so it doesn't stand out, but it's there, like a watermark. And uh, yeah, it was. It comes out. Yeah, I actually had to print that because unfortunately you, you discover this when you work with, with various things. What looks fine on the screen prints out extra dark on the printer, so I had to actually make it look even even lighter on screen, so it printed out just just great, just there, but you can see yeah. it. Well, if you, at a distance, you can see it. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. That would be better. But, I mean, if, if I'm actually trying to look past the curve of some graphic and trying to see where I type, where I printed over it, I don't like that at all. You know, now, if I had, uh, and I do now, I've, I now have a color laser. Uh, if I printed my stuff in all kinds of different colors, well, then that would be great because then I, I could, you know, use things to make certain things pop. You know, make all my my writing pop compared to the the other stuff that's around it. Okay. Now, I would say that uh, they've gotten better in recent uh, editions of of uh, D and D. But man, those early editions of D and D had so much wasted space for all these stats and and percentages and this and that that you almost never used. I mean, really, how many people need to know their their uh, Ben bars lift gates. I mean, you know, it, when it came to it, what is isn't that what the GM's supposed to do? Okay, you got an 18 strength. Okay, that means you got to do that. All right, go do it. I mean, do you really need that on your character sheet? To me, a lot of stuff needs to be off that character sheet because it's taking the valuable real estate that should be there for things I think are more important. So I've never liked all that extra stuff that the people have on there because uh, it's already built in. I mean, if you. You know, it's like that plus, you know, plus three um, reaction bonus, uh, uh, or plus three uh, to hit with a with a bow. Okay, who doesn't know that after you've been playing the game for a couple of weeks, right? Doesn't everybody already know what all the bonuses are? Do you really need to write them down on the character sheet? Just write the totals that, that they really are. That's what I think. Well, you know, uh, there's in in the design world. I, I forget which book it was I read, but um, I think it was called Made to Stick. But uh, any, anyway, it, it, it there was this this whole section on what they call feature creep, and what feature creep is, it's kind of like what happens with a remote control. It's when you have so many things on a device that you can't find anything. So, like, um, you know, the iPhone is sort of like the opposite of that. It has one, you know, it has the one button on the front. The top button, you know, it has like just just a very few minutes, very minimalist. But it's so easy to find everything for the most part. Um, 
uh, and I'm not a big, I'm not like trying to be an advocate for Apple or anything like that. I'm just saying that that's one example. Um, but then you get these remote controls that have like 10,000 buttons on it and they're like, oh, could you turn it down? You're like, um, um, oh, crap, where's the mute? Maybe. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, uh, that's a, it's something called feature creep. So it's like, oh, we have more space. We could put something else on there. And then it's like, you think, well, more is better, but then more is better becomes more is worse. And I think that's what you're going, Bruce. It's like, you have all this stuff in your character sheet and say, all right, well, I need you to, 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 to roll your damage. Like, where's that? I can't find it it's all this <laughs> stuff all over my with is in the box down here the box up there which is what got my weapon here no, no no not with your weapon it's over like oh my god but yeah i, I know what you're talking about yeah it's uh and a lot of the stuff that i see on character sheets i think a lot of times it's like you know do, do i care really you know do i yeah do i really need to know that you know it's i mean it's, and, and and some stuff, especially like uh, uh, Richard's uh, in the Tritech system, your percentage chance of misfire. Okay, you know, did anybody ever use that, John? Actually, I did. Was it was it something that could have just been handled by the GM rather than the player? Uh... Did you have them roll them every time to see whether they misfired? And. Isn't that something that could have gone on a DM screen or something? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, something like I serve. Okay, I serve. Uh, okay, I house ruled it. The only time I do that is when they is when they uh, blew the roll. I mean, re- you know, like rolled a one. Yeah. Exactly. Then I have them roll for misfire. Then you go and roll to see what happened, and <clears throat> and I'm saying that sort of thing, you know, is is so rare that uh, as far as I'm concerned. If you have, I mean, if you want it on your character sheet, fine, but put it on the third and fourth sheet somewhere. You know that sort of thing. I mean, you really don't need to see that on the front where you're where you live, okay? Where you're doing stuff. I mean, I I, I personally, you know, uh, you know, depending upon your game system, you know, what you're trying to do, you know, your hit points and the number of healing surges or healing potions you have, or you know, uh, <coughs> that's important, you know. Anything you can do to make that, you know, more because that's the crux of the game. You know, you lose those, you're dead. Okay, so uh, how much air you have in your uh, uh, in your air tanks if you're in a space game? That's you know, if you did a lot of that where you're walking around and you could be running out of air, then having a little canister where you can mark off how much air had been used so far. And if you're over there running, then of course you're using it faster than the guy who's just floating along because. Well, I mean, because he can, because he's doing handwork, hacking the computer while you guys are running around trying to kill xenomorphs. And all of a sudden, you show back up, and he's got a half a tank, and you've got like an eighth of a tank. And then we get to have these really cool little discussions about, hey, man, <clears throat> send some of that O2 my way. I don't know. I really, really think I'm going to need it before this night's over, you know. Yeah, so wait a minute. So, so something, something we were just talking about with the um, with the, the DM sheet versus the character sheet. I mean, do we want to touch on that? Like, like what goes? What would you pull off the character sheet and put on the on the DM screen? Okay, on a DM screen, obviously, um, combat rules. If you can simplify them and put them to where, you know, they're right there, so the DM goes, "Okay, I know in order to do oh a disarm." I need to make these rolls based on these values. Or, let's see, another thing for a DM screen. Carrying capacity for, let's say, you have a 16 strength. Well, light load is this, medium load is this, heavy load is this. 
Um, the charts for hardness of objects. Okay, my guy wants to break his manacles. He wants to snap them and do an intimidate check on that to show that he's really angry and strong. Okay, well then the break DC for a pair of manacles is this. Things that you shouldn't have to go looking through books for. Various charts for combat, for objects. Like social roles, stuff like that. Okay, yeah, things for like uh, the DC for using diplomacy, depending on if they're hostile, indifferent, neutral, friendly, or helpful. That one there, I can I see it now in my mind's eye for the Pathfinder book. Have that chart there. That one I would think I would want on my character sheet. Because when I go see this guy frowning at me, you know, and I'm looking going, hmm, what's my chance? And, you know, if it, if it shows my DC is uh, 20 and I've got a, a level, you know, 10 skill in it, I'm like, hmm, you know, this is, is <clears throat> could I make it worse by doing that? By, by trying to negotiate with them. You know, it's, so, so let me ask you this. Like, how do we make that decision? Like, I mean, it's kind of hard to draw the line on that sort of thing. I mean, I would say, I guess my guess would be that things that are inherent to your character only, absolutely. But I think things that um, are, are sort of universal, it's like, all right, so bear with me on this. So let's say your strength is a certain amount right? And because it is that amount, it will do a certain amount of damage. Now, that might be something you want in your character sheet because combat is so prevalent in role-playing games. Let's go with something else. Let's say your social role. And because your social, whatever social skill it is you have, say D&D is charisma, um, whatever bonus that would give you to certain tasks and stuff, um, if it's not you know, just for your character, so let's say it, it, it's, it's represented by a number. So a 16 means you can do this. Um, that might be something that goes on a, on a game master's uh, chart or on his DM screen. Um, if it's something that occurs at least once every other or every three games, but other than that, it's something you can look up. So if it's something that kind of co- is going to commonly happen, but it isn't, um, you know, tailored to just your character, then it could go on the game master screen. Now, I would say the exception to that would be is if it's something that you use all the time. Like, I'm going to use this three or four times tonight, so I want it on my character sheet so I don't have to ask the Game Master every single time. Right, so I I, th- I think there's – you could make some not hard hard rules but like kind of – I guess what we call hard and fast rules where it's just kind of – you know, you say this is, the, this is the rule I have for this with some exceptions here and there. But for the most part, this is how I'm going to define what goes on a character sheet – what goes on a game master screen and what stays in the book? Right. See, to me, I, I, I've, having played Savage Worlds now for over a year on a fairly regular basis, I, I am convinced that every skill uh, should be written down on your character sheet because Savage Worlds allows you to roll uh, a default roll against any skill that you have, um, except knowledge. Um, because uh, that's supposed to be very specific. Uh, but the point is, is that I there's been so many times when I've been like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what whether I can, what, what are my options? And seeing the list of skills informs me of what my options are. And a lot of times when you just put down five or six skills that people have, because those are the ones that they bought uh, uh, dice in, 
uh, you get these people who basically, uh, you know, every, everything's a hammer. I, I, I got a hammer, everything's a nail. They never see outside of that because they're afraid that they can't do things. They don't understand that the hero die rolling along with a D4 minus 2 is really a, a very good roll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one thing that I would like to see on all character sheets that are, that, that are in the Savage World game is all the skills listed on the character sheet, you know, with, of course, the ones that you actually have dice in, you know, indicates very clearly, but still... Yeah, there are there are some. There's actually a great training sheet for Savage Worlds put out by um, uh, oh, I've got his last name. He's the uh, colorist for for Girl Genius, um, Cheyenne something. I've got his last name. Sorry, Cheyenne. Are you sure that's not his wife? No, that's Kaylee. No, his name is Cheyenne. His name is Cheyenne. Uh, but he does wonderful one. He has all this, and the skills are actually arrayed under each. Stats. So all the intelligence skills are under are under are under smarts. All the strength skills are under strength. So they're all they're so you know sorted across there by uh, by w- w- what stat they belong to. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and you can you know mark off what the dice is for that, and you know, and, and you don't have a one, then you know it's a d four minus a d four minus one. It does mean you you know on average. Your, your dice will expl- your your dice will explode one out of four times, which is you know you got twenty percent chance of exploding dice and rolling a higher number and and so on and so forth. I've seen people. I had one person who only had D four in a skill. They rolled a twenty. That's pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you know, the uh, that's that's the kind of the fun thing about the Savage World system. Is is that you know, your chance of getting your getting the four you're looking for is better the bigger your dice, but having your dice explode is better the smaller your dice are. So you end up with a more you know crazy result, you know more unexpected results with low dice than you do with big dice. Okay, um, so what about um, guns? Uh, I mean, we love guns, right? Who doesn't? Do you have to have every gun that you have on your character sheet uh, right there in front? Uh, I would say the most... Well, everybody... Usually it's a convention in these games that if you have a gun, you have your favorite. Jane has Vera. Bond has his Walther PPK. Every hero has their one firearm or their one weapon that they are known for. Legolas has his bow. Gimli has his axes. John Crichton has his Winona. Yep. Oh, exactly. Thank you. Yes. So, Jeez, Trav, how could you miss yeah, that? Yeah, well... He didn't miss it. He ha- I had his back. Thank you. But, yeah, I would say your main weapon, and then, of course, you know, always have a dagger on you. So, you know, have that dagger stat there in case it's like, yeah, he took my gun. He may shoot me with it. Well, I'm going to stab him or stick it in his eye before I go. <laughs> so always have your main weapon and that backup emergency weapon on the sheet ready to go. <laughs> so you think having a weapon on your character sheet is an integral part of play? Well, like Blick said, combat is such an integral part of role-playing games. Yeah, main weapon stat, definitely. I liked in a couple of sheets I had for Sarge Rolls, they actually had across the bottom a line of bullets. 
Oh yes, yes. The border. No, it's actually bullets. You cross off. You know, if you if you got twenty bullets, you cross off everything beyond twenty, and that's your number of shots you got until you get some more bullets. Yeah. Or reload. Yeah. When I make, well, I, I that's kind of cool. But I like uh, what I do is in either in my if I'm making my own character sheet, I'll I'll have a I'll have a, a column for bullets or ammo, right? And then I will put the size of the clip. So let's say a clip will hold. 10, right? I'll put a 10 and a slash and then a space. And that space is for me to write how many is left in it. And I'll put several of those on there because, you know, your character always carries multiple clips if he's, a, you know, if he's a real kill machine. Well, if you're 13, you got a lot of, you got to have a lot of banes. Right. Yeah. So let's say my, my character has uh, three clips of ammo. It'd be a 10, a slash, a space, a 10, a splash, a space. And then that way, uh, I can, it, it, I found that's the easiest way for me to keep track. Cause you know, I write with a pencil when you're role playing usually. Um, so, you know, I can, I can, I can have 10 in there and I'm going, oh, okay, just fire two shots and write an eight and I fire two more shots, erase it, write a six. Um, and that, that's a way for me to keep track. And I've seen some character sheets and, and some of my friends like to do this where they'll have, They'll have the same sort of thing, but instead they'll have boxes next to it with that number, so they can just scratch out a number of boxes, much like what you're saying, John. Um, yeah, I, I, I go, I go that, I go that way too. I mean, I'll put down boxes sometimes just to keep track of how many shots I got, and I do them, and I do them by, um, you know, by mag, by magazine. So or or you know, so or reload, but by reload. So I always know I got ding ding ding, ding you know, and there they go. Right. Now, here's the thing. Um, of course, not every game you worry about that too. Some games, it's basically unlimited ammo until until the GM decides it's appropriate that you run out run out of bullets. And to be honest with you, when we play Savage Worlds, we kind of do that all, all, some of the time. We'll just be like, you know, you have bullets until the game master tells you you're out, or or you say you may even have a preference of like, look, dude, I'm watching my ammo, so I need to know a little ahead of time because my character is actually being conscious of it. Um, but I, I prefer to just not know because I think it's funny. Well, you need to know how many bullets you're firing because you have to reload. And that's an additional action. I, I know, but that, that's where the game master might say, all right, well, you're getting close. You're going to have to reload next round or something like that if you're not careful or, or whatever. It, I mean, it all depends on your ga- game style. You know, if you're playing, right. if you're playing Savage Worlds or, or let's say you're playing Feng Shui and you know, you're essentially uh, you know, one of the gun bunnies running around and you're, you're Chow Young Fat, right? Do you really ever reload? I think there's actually isn't there a some kind of benefit in there that you never run out of bullets or something? I forget. Any of you guys who've played Feng Shui? I'm sure that's true. I I, I have, and I'm I. Oh God, it's been like four or five years since I, I've. Done I can't it, remember. Yeah. It's either something like lightning reload or something like that, so that you don't even have to consider it. It's just that so long as you have you you take some clips with you, you basically essentially just never run out. Yep. Now in fate, you basically it's so freeform that you know basically it's assumed that you got uh, that reload just takes place you know instantaneously. You're never a turn out waiting to reload unless the GM wants to wants to mess with you. And mm-hmm. Then he'll say, "Yeah, you got you got yourself that uh, Roman blunderbuss. It's going to take you at least one round of reloading that sucker because you've not, you have not practiced, and it'll give you the aspect of reloading." You know, at that point, or you know, or or uh, or you can inflict the aspect of out of you know running low on ammo that can be tapped later on by you or someone else says I'm out of bullets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be really important in the game because 
Then all of a sudden he says, well, okay, I ran out of bullets. I guess I got to start throwing grenades. <laughs> yeah, right. those I have you count, though. But I'm just saying, there's, there's some pieces of equipment that you never use until you run out of something else. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, if I'm going to get up against a bunch of, bunch of mugs uh, and I got grenades, that goes in first. Did you say mugs? Oh my God, because a bunch of mugs, see? Yeah, a bunch of mooks <laughs> in there. He toss grenades first. Then you come in. Unless, of course, there's, there's breakable stuff in there that you don't, that you don't want to break. Ah, Bruce brought his mugs to the fight. Nah. <laughs> All right, see here, see? Yeah. Yeah, 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 see here. We're all yeah, doing Edward G- yeah, young blood. <laughs> Edward yeah. G. Robinson. Get yourselves over there. Get them mugs. See? Yeah. yeah. Torpedoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Edgar G. Robinson turning over in his grave. I was going to bust out with a James Cagney imitation there, but I figured, no, no, quit throwing gas on the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Top of the world, Ma! Top of the world! There are two kinds of rats. Big rats and dirty rats. But you are a big, dirty rat. All right, all right, all right. Stop, stop, stop. That's so sweet. (laughs) That is so sweet. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, for our discussion about what should go on your character sheet and also the things that are going and, <clears throat> and, and raining upon and everything else at TriTac Games. We hope you enjoyed our show, and we hope that you will let us know uh, other topics you'd like us to do, as well as give us feedback on uh, everything else. And send us a line. Let us know what you think. Uh, on our Facebook pages, on TriTacGamers.com, and on our Podbean site. So, thanks a lot. Don't forget Google+. And Google+. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.